praying over the last, obviously there's a lot that's been going on uh, in our nation and I've been praying and just seeking the Lord about um, different areas, different things. And obviously over the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing with you about um, the last two weeks specifically, I've been talking to you about and sharing with you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because I believe, um, and if so, if you weren't here in the last two weeks, I would encourage you, especially those last two uh, messages of that series that we did, um, because of what is coming upon the earth. You know, it's easy to get rattled. Anybody been a little rattled? Anybody? A little frustrated? Seeing things that just kind of, as my mother used to say, get stuck up in my crawl, which I'm still not quite sure what that means, but it's, it doesn't sound good. I know that. And, um, you know, but as Christians, the Bible's very clear is that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. But we are still in it, right? Like we... It, I'm not an escape theology person that says, you know, let's just go find an island somewhere and just have a perfect little Christian world because we can't actually do what God told us to do if we all did that, which is what? To go reach some lost people. And, um, you know, and so over the last couple of weeks, so I've been sharing with you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because I believe in the days that we live, but also in the days that are to come, that's going to become an even more valuable asset and resource in our life. And I, and you know, and I won't teach it all, but look, I believe it's available to everybody. Go back and re-listen the last couple of weeks. You'll understand. I go in depth about it, but today I want to, um, really kind of piggyback off of that, but also I want to, um, talk about a few things. And so, uh, that are more maybe culturally relevant to us, uh, right now, because there's a lot going on in our world, but as Christians, we have a responsibility. How many of you realize that? We have a responsibility in how we live, how we respond, what we do, all of these things. And so I want to share some things with you here from Scripture this morning. And, uh, you know, uh, so we're going to start in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 12. I'm going to read you a couple verses here. And um, so a lot of these verses, I'm just going to tell you up front, I'm going to read a part of it because if I read it all in context, we would I would run out of time real quick. So. For the sake of time, so if you're curious, go read some of these more. But I'm trying to give you as much to give it in, a, in as much context as I can, because I don't like just cherry-picking verses. You can make the Bible say anything you want, right? Judas hung himself, and go and do thou likewise, right? That, those are two actual verses, by the way. So you can make Scripture say anything. That's why it's important to understand the context in which things are written. But one day this man approaches Jesus and he says, and he's one of the religious leaders, but he says, of all of the, of, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus responds and says, the most important commandment is, uh, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. He says, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And he says, the second is equally as important. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. It says, no other uh, commandment is greater than these. In other uh, gospels, it actually says it this way. Think of like a coat rack, right? Anybody have a coat rack, like a little thing with the little pegs in your house? You know, you hang a hat or a coat or something. It's actually the picture of what he's saying here is that all of the Old Testament, in other words, all of the Ten Commandments, all the over 700 laws from the Old Testament all hang on these two. In other words, they're the coat rack that everything else hangs on in all of Scripture. It's actually the principle of love. It's loving God and it's loving people. And if you were going to summarize what the Christian life is all about at its most basic level, that's it. Is it what? It's these two great commandments. 
Because they said, hey, what's the, because they were all about the rules. They were all about the letter of the law. They were all about dotting the I and crossing the T. And so they're trying to actually trip up Jesus in asking this question. And yet Jesus says, "Is hey, you got to do two things. And they were like, and, and if you go and read it, they actually said, you've answered well, teacher. In other words, like, I thought I was going to trip you up, but I didn't. And so the question becomes in another gospel is they actually ask the question, okay, well, well, who is my neighbor then? Like if I'm supposed to love my neighbor and it actually says, love your neighbor as yourself, then who is my neighbor? And in context of scripture and, and in my study on this, it actually means humanity. It's not just the person who lives on either side of your house. It's not the person that you work next to. It's literally every person on the planet is that we are called to love above all. Now, love will make you do some strange things. Like love will cause you to not get offended. Love will cause you to not say things that you thought you wanted to say. But all of a sudden, that what the greater law of love kicks in, and it's like, oh. You ever had the Holy Spirit do that to you? Like you go to say something, and he's like, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't send that text. Don't, don't, don't post that. Why? Because we have a responsibility, and it is a responsibility as believers to what? To model the love of God. Now, none of us are perfect. None of us will ever be perfect in this. But it's very clear from Scripture that Jesus says we have two responsibilities. To love God and to love, and one way to say this is our fellow man. That was one of the definitions doesn't mean when we like people. The Bible says that God loved us when we were what? Dead in our sins and our trespasses. He loved us. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that what? That draws somebody to even repentance to begin with. So in other words, you can say it this way. Is that we turn to God because he loved us. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him. Right? So God gave before we ever took a look at him. He loved. And we are called to live in this type of place. And so it's, it's very important that we understand these things. And in light of what I've been sharing with you over the last couple of weeks, I also want to read a scripture to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3 this morning. I would encourage you later. This is a little homework assignment. So if you're taking notes, because you, you learn more when you take notes, by the way. And, uh, but go read verses four through eight, specifically go read it out of the amplified Bible. When I was in uh, Bible school, I had to memorize that in the amplified just cause they were mean and wanted us to learn more words, but, um, not really, but I can still almost quote it verbatim. And that's been over 20 years ago because when we live from this place, it changes the way that we act, the way we think. The way we process information, our motivations begin to shift. And this is very important because Jesus did not die so that we could be the same way we were before him. Here's one of the hallmarks of scripture that I see. And when people ask me, what does it mean to be saved? I always go back and it can be somewhat simplistic. But again, I just stick with what I see in scripture. Is that when people encounter Jesus, they begin to change. The Bible says what? We, we, we can judge a tree by its fruit, right? 
So there ought to be something in us, and, and it should be a continual process of growth and of change, what becoming who God has created us and called us to be. Now here in 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1, he says, if I can speak all the languages of earth and angels, another translation would say, if I speak in tongues, which we've been talking about the last couple weeks, he says, but I didn't love others, I would only be a a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all the secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, like I want to be that kind of person, right? I mean, that's somebody who's got some spiritual ability about them. He says, but I didn't love others. I would be nothing. So I got all these spiritual accolades, if you will. But if I don't know how to love people, it amounts to nothing. He says, if I go or if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrifice my body, he said, I could boast about it. Oh, I love people. Man, I, I, I give money to this and I do this and I do that. And, and I, I'm involved in this. and I'm involved in that. But you could just soothe your conscience by doing certain things while never allowing your heart to actually be changed. This is the problem with social justice. We hear that word a lot right now. And I believe that as as Christians, we should have a massive impact, way more than what we have had. And I'm not against helping people. I believe that as the church that we are called to help people, but we aren't just to satisfy a natural need. We are to what? Offer a spiritual need. See, this is what I know, and I'm just going to be real honest. I can buy somebody's meal, and it doesn't make a difference. But if they know I genuinely care and love them, it leaves an impact. That's what this scripture is actually talking about. Is that I can do something just in, in, my, in the natural realm to say, well, I just need to do this to so that I feel a little better. Yeah, but I want to love people, not just do things for people. Why? Because that is the heart of God. Is that we are called to love, not just do. Because we can do and our heart never change. And yet God is all about our heart. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, he actually goes on and he says, Let love be the highest goal of your life. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is actually sandwiched between chapter 12 and chapter 14, which are all about spiritual gifts. It's all about uh, really God using us to do amazing things. And right in the middle, there's love. How many of you, what's the best part of an Oreo? The middle, right? My kids will not eat the cookies. They take them, they spin them, they lick it off. And they just pile up the cookies. Why? That's the best part. See, this is like an Oreo right in the middle of scripture. The cookie's good, but the filling's really where it's at. Now, I know there's lots of debate. Original Oreo, double stuff, triple stuff, you know, whatever. You can have all the filling you want, all right? But right here, we see... Sandwich, and so I'll say, I'll summarize it in saying this is I don't care how spiritual you are. If you don't truly love people, you're missing it. You've missed something. You've set the wrong goal 
And look, I believe in being truly spiritual. I believe in living my life centered around the word of God. But again, I have to focus on what God focuses on, not what I want to focus on. And too many times we'll take scripture and we will want to focus on what we want. Or what we need. Or what fits into what we think versus actually saying, okay God, what does your word say to me? And how does that affect me? And how is that going to change me? Because God wants us to get saved, but that is not a one-time decision. It is a process that continues throughout our life. And we will never get to that finish line until we stand before him. It's not going to happen, but, but we can grow. We can develop. We can what be grow into maturity as scripture talks about. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but I want to pivot just for a few minutes. And, and because here's the thing is that I, I am responsible for a few things. And this is what I can tell you. I am not responsible, thankfully, to make decisions for our nation as a whole. For our state, for our city. I don't hold those positions and I'm very thankful. I don't want to hold those positions. Talk about some stress. But what I am responsible for is this, is what I speak to you and what I teach to you. The Bible says I'm going to answer to the Lord for it. And so I want to talk about a few things about what's happening in our nation, but not so much about our nation as much as what's happening in you. Because the Bible in Proverbs actually says this, and, and so many times we, it's easy to jump on the bandwagon and say, well, our nation needs to change, our nation needs to change, this needs to happen. But the problem is that's always somebody else, right? Proverbs says is that righteousness or people living righteously exalts a nation. Not a nation rises, people rise, and that elevates the place that they call home. And so if, if we're really going to talk about creating change, we have to first what start with ourself. The Bible, Jesus talks about this, the, the parable of the speck in, in someone else's eye. If you have something in your own eye, right? And Jesus says, hey, don't worry about them. You take care of yourself first. And, and so in, in light of this, and in light of what's going on and what we hear, it's very easy right now, very easy you know, I'll be honest with you. This week, I got off of social media almost completely. I got on to check a couple of messages, and I tried to get off real quick. It's amazing how much more peace I had. I'm not going to watch the news. I'm going to pray. And one of my friends uh, posted some this week, and he said, quit posting and start praying. I was like, I like that. Because that is what we ought to be doing as believers. Number, there's, and there's two reasons for that. When I pray, I become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when I pray, it opens the door for God to begin to work. And so I want to share. So it's very easy right now for our souls, which is our mind, our will, our emotions to become disillusioned right now. Which what does that word mean? It simply means that you see things from a, a skewed perspective and even being polluted by what we see and what we read on social media. You know, I've had a few people reach out to me and ask me, like, what's going on? What, what, what's your thought? What, what are you, what's your opinion on these things? Which I'll just be honest with you, my opinion doesn't matter a whole lot. We've all got opinions. In reality, we're probably all wrong. To some degree. 
Because nobody is just right all the time in everything. If you were, we would call you the Messiah. And so this is what I know. I want to live my life centered on God's word. Why? Because it doesn't change and it never fails. And, and so, but I think that, um, you know, and so we, but I think it is an important question to, to address and to ask is that why are these things happening in our nation? What is going on? How do we get here? What do we do? How do we go forward? There's lots of questions right now. Now, I'm going to give you a little qualifying statement. I am no expert. I am no expert. Nor am I really qualified to speak on certain complexities that are happening around us right now. And I'm not trying to oversimplify what's going on. And I'm not saying that this is simply a governmental problem that needs to be fixed. That is not what I'm saying. But this is what I do know. Because I believe that the church has a massive part in this if we're going to see our nation shift. If we're going to see God move in our nation. But this is what I do know. Why is this happening? And again, I'm not trying to make it overly simplistic, but I'm just sticking with scripture. So number one, there is a world system at work. As a matter of fact, you go as far as you can say it this way, is that the world system, which we are actually as believers have been called out of, is actually at war against the kingdom of God. So anything and everything that is against God, or let me say it this way, anything that God wants to do, the world system will fight against it. It will. So that's part of what we're seeing right now. And we shouldn't be too freaked out by what's happening as believers. Why? Because the Bible actually talks about what we're seeing right now. It goes as far as to say that, that men's hearts would what? Begin to fail them for fear. I don't know that we've ever experienced a time of fear quite in the same way as this. I mean, we've, we've had wars. We've had things. We, I mean, we had 9-11. We, we, you know, even going back two generations, we had world wars. But they were never on our soil. And this literally impacted every person on the globe, not just in our country. But what was the result of what we have experienced is a massive influx of fear and concern that we all have had to deal with and all have had to process through and to to figure out and how am I going to do these things. So one thing that we see is there is a world system at work. Another thing is people's flesh. Some of what we see is very simply just people's flesh. We see it every day on the news. The third thing is that, is that there is a, a devil with an agenda. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And, and yes, he uses the world system, but the world system is not the devil. They are two separate things. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked without the influence of the devil. Now, he will still use people. That's not what I'm saying. But those are three reasons why I believe that what's happening in our society is happening. See, I believe that Satan wants nothing more than to keep us divided as a nation, but also as the church. One of the reasons why I personally got off of social media, very limited, was this. It wasn't because of the craziness that I saw from people I don't know. 
It was what I saw being posted by people that I know who call themselves Christians. Now, just so that we're clear, that's not a political statement. I mean on both sides of the argument. Because if you really wanted to have an honest discussion and look at it in light of Scripture, run it through the filter of, does that qualify as walking in love? Now, we can all define what that means and what that looks like if we want. What does Scripture say? I come back to Scripture. Again, I don't need my opinion. I need to look into God's Word because it's the manual I live from. But I also know that when the church comes together to be unified, is that there is real power. It's God's power is made available. And, And so, and I believe this is that at its most fundamental level, Stripping away kind of all the noise of this moment. How did we get here? I believe it's a spiritual issue. Now, I can speak about spiritual issues. And and so, what do we do? I'm not saying that even as the church that we shouldn't address or have anything to say about the circumstances, the situations that we face. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the fact remains this is that I know this and we all and if anybody could disagree with this, I don't know how is that you can never legislate a human heart. You can legislate behaviors, but you can never legislate heart. You can make things illegal, but people still might do them. We can't have enough laws because the moment we had everything covered, somebody would find some new way to sin It's just the truth. Only God can change a heart. And so I want to give you an example of this from Scripture. And it, it somewhat will mirror what we see, but not exactly right now in our culture. Is that in Scripture, we don't really find the word race, except for in one context, which is the race of Adam. In other words, the human race. Now, I've looked into this. I don't know the exact percentages, but it's less than 1% of our genetic makeup makes us different than any other person. It's actually less than a quarter of a percent, but there's some debate on to how much. Go as far as to say this. The only difference between me and someone, like I'm pasty white. I'll just own it, okay? Somebody who maybe has more of a tan complexion, Or someone who has a darker... They're not actually a different color than me. They are a variation of the same color. I mean, let's just be honest. How many people who are truly black? If you want to be literal, they're brown. I'm light tan. Real light tan. Really light tan. Brown and tan are still in the same family. If you look at a color swatch, you go to the paint store and you'll get one of those big books of colors and you fan that thing out. We are the human race. With very minimal difference. And here's what I do know is that every human being, and you've heard me say this many times, not even in this context, is born with a purpose. 
a God-given purpose, which means they matter to God, which means they matter to me. It's inherent. It's not based on behavior. It's based on purpose. And we have to understand this. And so I'm going to give you an example of this in Scripture. Because again, from God's perspective, there's only two kinds of people that I can find in Scripture. And specifically, we were talking about people groups. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. That's the only distinction that God makes when it comes to people. You can say it this way, is that there are those who had a covenant with God and there are those who didn't have a covenant with God. And this is the, the qualification. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, which we're going to look at in the next few minutes together. In verses 1 through 10, we actually are, we read through the story about what? About God bringing us back into fellowship, relationship with him. The word biblically would be reconciliation, which we keep hearing, Right? Is that we've been what? Reconciled to God. We've been brought back into relationship with God. That's verses 1 through 10. I'm not going to read it, but I would encourage you. Go read it. It, it. it includes, it's by grace that you are saved, not by works, right? It's by what? The hand of God, the providence of God, the kindness of God that we are saved. That's what it talks about in verse 1 through 10. But in verse 11... He says, therefore, in one translation, which means, hey, in light of what I just said, let me continue another thought. He says, don't forget, verse 11, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. There was a lot of dislike between these two peoples. He says that the Jews were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. God is more concerned about our hearts than he is about physical things. It says, in those days you were living apart from Christ. Now I want you to listen to the language here. Because if they weren't clear on what he's talking about, he pretty much spells it out. He says, you were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel. If you, if you don't know, the Jews are the people of Israel. Those are God's chosen people. Why did God choose them? I have no answer. God chose them and said, these are my peoples. That's all I can tell you. It says, but you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. It says, you lived in this world without God and without hope. And it says, but now. So in other words, you were not a part of the family. Why? Because he's writing here to the church at Ephesus, which is what? A bunch of non-Jewish people. So he tells them, hey, you were not part of the family. You were not part of the covenant. You did not have the promises of God. You had no reason that God was going to do anything kind towards you is what he's telling them. He says, but now you have been united with Christ. It says, once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. And it says that he united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his, or it says, when in his body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law, the Old Testament, with its reg or commandments and its regulations. He made peace between the Jews and the Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two people or from two groups. It says together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups. That's a nice way of saying everybody was jacked up. 
everybody needed help. The Jews were God's chosen people and they needed God just as much as the Gentiles did. So together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility with each other was put to death. So in Christ, what? There's now unity among the family. And he says, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were afar off and peace to the Jews who were near. So we both got the same thing. And it says, now all of us come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Now, I know that's a lot of scripture that I just read to you. But this is what I want you to hear from me this morning. Especially in light of what we see in our culture If the church is to make a difference, the church has to be an example. And for the church to be an example means that we as individuals, because the church ain't this building. The church is us. And sometimes we can fall into this mindset, which is, hey, is that we're American Christians. No, we are Christians. And we have family all over the globe. So, you know, right now we see a lot of civil unrest in our nation. And so we feel it. Yeah, but there's people who are being decapitated in other countries because of their faith. And we don't bat an eye about it. We ought to, what, be paying attention to what's happened even in the world, yes. But we ought to, what, feel what is happening to our family. Why? Because we are one family in Christ. We all come to the same Jesus to get saved. We all live through the same Holy Spirit. Christ is supreme above all else. And we have to what? Be to do these things. And so the Bible is very clear in Ephesians chapter 2 is that what? We have to be reconciled to God first to be reconciled to one another. Why? Because we have to have the love of God on the inside of us. And if we're not part of his family, we don't have his heart. So we can do things to soothe conscience, but not actually create change. See, by scripture, I see that Jesus is the great leveling field. He's the one who sets the standard for everybody. Again, there's only two kinds of people, those who follow Christ and those who don't. There are believers and non-believers. Now, I know that most likely the majority of people in this room watching online right now are probably believers. But I think that we have to ask a deeper question than just, am I a believer or am I a non-believer? I believe another question that we should be asking ourselves is what kind of Christian am I? Because there are different ones. I mean, we all know it. In reality, we've probably all been all three of these that I'm going to mention at some point. So the question is, is what kind of Christian am I today? Now, the first one would be a casual Christian. This is somebody who just is Christian by name. They've kind of added Christ. They got the bumper sticker on the car. But. You don't really see any real evidence in their life that change has actually happened. 
So they have the name, they got the sticker, but there's no actual biblical transformation. A way you could say this is, is that they go to church, but the church is not in them. It's religious duty. They're just going. They're just doing things. The second one would be this, is to be lukewarm. Rock, uh, Revelations talks about this. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're just kind of somewhere in the middle. Now, this could be caused by many factors why we would fall into this. It could be that we've just kind of kicked it into autopilot. We're just coasting. Things are good. We're just rolling. Maybe we're just living from past experiences with God. But when was the last time that you had an experience with God? Like, when was the most recent one? If you're like, well, it's been a while, you're not waiting on God. See, this is marked, though, by a life that has become stale and has become lifeless. It's actually a very dangerous place to be because you're, it's almost like being lulled to sleep. And the enemy can come in and, and get advantage of us. The third one would be this. A person who is committed, they're denying themselves. They're applying scripture to their daily life. Say, well, what does that mean? It means how you think, how you act, even the goals that you set, the things that matter to you. You're, and they're running through the filter of scripture. Not taking scripture and running it through the filter of me. It's taking me and running it through the filter of Scripture. Very different. So do we ask the Holy Spirit to evaluate our hearts on a regular basis? I mean, David prayed a beautiful prayer. And he said, Lord, if there's anything in me that offends you, tell me. In other words, he recognized there may be things in my life that is offensive to God, and I'm not even aware of it. So there are things that I have to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, reveal this to me. And then I need to listen for his response. Why? Because I need the Holy Spirit to do the dirty work in my heart. Because I can't fix my heart. Only God can do that. But if I'll allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to do this, guess what happens? That I begin to be transformed into the image of Christ. But I can't do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. James chapter 1 verse 26 says this. says, if someone believes that they have a relationship with God, but fails to guard his words, and I'm going to add in actions, then his heart is drifting away. That would be that lukewarm person. And his religion is shallow and empty. If what you profess doesn't actually have evidence in your life, you're drifting. You're moving away from these things. So here's another question that I believe as believers that we should be asking ourselves is do I submit my will, my thoughts to God's word or am I, do I have the expectation that God will submit to what I think? And I think we need to ask that question of ourselves. These are heart questions. Like, do, do I try, like, and I'll give you an example. How do you know if you're trying to bring the Bible under what you want? Do you justify actions when you get convicted when you read Scripture? The justification is, I see the truth in Scripture, but I want to believe something else or live something different. That is me trying to bring God's Word down and my will becomes elevated. But God's word is truth. So what do we do with this? 
I think we, these are the areas that I believe that we need to ask. Do we submit ourselves? I believe that this is something that we must come to a determining factor on. Because it's going to de- de- really determine which way we go in life. If I want to what, have a vibrant relationship with God where I walk in fellowship with him, I have to submit. I have to surrender. To the point that I have to die to myself. So why? So I can come alive in Christ. This is what scripture talks about. See, as we started talking about today, as the greatest two commandments are what? Love God and love people, right? The only way to truly love God is to love people. They're not separate. They're connected at the hip. And it doesn't mean that I have to like everything. It doesn't mean I have to agree with everything. One of my personal concerns that I see in our culture, and this isn't church, but, but it does play into the church, is one of the things that I see that concerns me is that we've lost the ability to disagree. There's right and wrong, and if we're not on the same side, then we can't be in relationship. I mean, it's like a two-year-old. Fine, I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to go home. That's, but how many of you feel like that's the society we're living in right now? If we're honest. It's like we got a bunch of toddlers running around. And everybody's saying, I'm going to take my stuff. I'm going to go home. Stick your tongue out and, you know. I mean, it's crazy. We are called to live above the fray. But if we get dragged down into these things, guess what? We're going to not just lose our peace. We're also going to lose our ability to actually love people. Now, you can go read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 and find out what biblical godly love actually looks like. It's a whole lot of selflessness. That's what it is. It's a lot of preferring somebody else. But as the church, we ought to be modeling this. I think what happens right now, and look, and I've been guilty of this, is that I listen to things, but I'm listening so that I can win the argument later. As opposed to just listening. And there is a difference. See, I believe that even as believers, and Dara makes fun of me, because y'all have heard me say this all the time, that I'm an introvert. But she's like, you are the nicest person on the planet to the lady at the gas station. Like, you'll stand there and have a conversation. Just, it's like, it's crazy. I can't explain it, but she's right. But I think that we have to, especially as believers, especially as people who claim the name of Christ, ought to be some of the most honoring, the most loving, and the most caring people. Doesn't mean that we... Don't have an opinion. It doesn't mean that we're the doormat. Quite the difference. I believe that we ought to live our lives in such a way that reflects Christ. That it's attractive to other people. Where people would say. Who are you and why do you act that way? Oh, because I'm motivated. Because God loved me and I, I, I want to share his love with other people. See, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says that God's love has been abundantly poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
Now, another translation would say it this way is that God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts. It doesn't make sense. Let me say it this way. The light of love has been turned on. The moment you got saved, God deposited his love on the inside of you. And you may say, man, I I got a lot of work to do. I've got good news. It's already in you. You ain't got to go find it. It's there. But we have to what? We have to walk in the love of God. And again, these are not, I'm not addressing us from a national, governmental, political level. I'm talking to you as a believer in Christ, how we respond. And what's, the, what's our heart and what is God doing in us? And let me say, I mean in all, everybody. I don't care the color of your skin. I care about the condition of your heart. Because that's the part of you that's eternal. And I would not do justice to not tell you what the Bible says. And the Bible tells me I am to love God and I am to love people. It's easy to get sucked into the the whirlpool of what's happening right now. But one of the greatest things that the devil does is he does things, but then he's like, hey, look over here, look over here, look why he's working over here. Gets us distracted, gets us looking away, and we need to be laser focused right now on what matters. My personal belief, this is just me personally, is I believe, as someone who has been seeking the Lord for a long time about this, I believe that we're about to see God move in our nation in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. And the enemy knows it. And he's doing everything he can to thwart it before it ever comes. So he's going to what? Try to divide. He's going to try to separate. Why? Because if he can separate, he can keep that from happening. So now is the time for us as the church to what? Awaken, to pray. Why? Because our prayers make a difference. The Bible says that God keeps the prayers of the saints in bowls before his throne. There's never a wasted prayer. God holds on to them all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it's my last scripture for you today. But the Bible says that we are Christ's ambassadors. We are his representatives. We are like Christ walking on the earth today. I didn't say we are him. I'm saying we're like him. But it says that God is making his appeal through us. Every one of us are evangelists everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, we're evangelists. God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So if we represent Christ, what is that? How do we do that? The word represent is a two-part word. Re-present. Say another word. Represent again. That's what that word means. We are to what? Show people around us Christ again. Why? Because we're being shaped into his image and molded into who he is like. That's who we're called to be as believers is that we are to make a difference in the world around us. We no longer just represent ourselves. 
our own thoughts, our own opinions. We voice his thoughts. We voice his opinions. See, we represent the one who paid the price for our sins. And we have to be careful as the church, as believers, that we don't begin to label somebody else's sin as different than our own. Because the same blood that paid the price for my sins, the same blood that paid the price for your sins, is the same blood that pays the price for everyone's sin. And it is no different. We can try to categorize what they are, but sin is sin. And every human being is in need of salvation. I mean, some of us have been in church a long time and we're still not perfect. So how do we create change in our culture? We change. We change. And then we go and get in relationship with somebody. That's how change happens. Again, you can't legislate things. I'm not against laws. I'm not against, I mean, look, we need laws. We need whatever. I'm not saying any of that. But those things will never change the human heart. But a relationship can. Love can. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love never fails. Never fails. And as believers, we're, we're called to live in this, from this place of love. That's who we're called to be. And so I believe for us as individuals, we need to begin to do some soul searching, a little, a little spring cleanup in our heart. And begin to ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in me? Is there any perceptions? Is there anything that I've done? And I don't mean like in terms of what we see on the news. I mean, God, is there anything in me that is displeasing to you? Anything. Because if there is, I don't want it. And I'm going to lay those things aside so that what? So that I can go out and to show people who Christ is accurately in a meaningful way and we're going to do that because we do exactly what jesus said we're going to fulfill those two greatest commandments we're going to love god from a place of purity and we're going to love others from a place of purity and that is the gospel now you may be here today and